Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello, I'm Martin Regan from the Law School at Queen's University and I'm talking today with Professor Susan Bandes from DePaul University College of Law. Would you like to say a little bit about yourself, Susan? Sure. Thanks for having me. It's Thank you. To be here. I am a law professor, as you mentioned. Before that, I was a practicing lawyer. I did civil rights law, and I also did criminal law, criminal defense law, and I've uh, been an academic for quite a few years now. And you've sort of transitioned into this area of law and emotion. Yes. So, yes. right. Um, when I began um, as a as a scholar, I was writing about more standard topics like criminal procedure mm-hmm. and uh, federal jurisdiction in the U.S. The you know uh, because we have federal and state jurisdictions, that's a, that's a whole big topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, I guess about twenty years ago, um, I got a little bit. I guess I would say confused by a couple of Supreme Court cases I read, um, which I'd be happy to tell you about. But um, in one of them, it seemed that the court said that compassion should play no role in the law. And then in the second one, it really looked like the court was encouraging compassion. And I thought, well, that that must be uh, there's some kind of contradiction here. I think I'll just spend an hour or two researching that and try to figure out which is correct. Is there compassion in the law or not? And so that was 20 years ago, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And along the way, I realized that I actually couldn't look into it without looking at psychology and sociology and even neuroscience and philosophy. So. I see. Um, that That's extremely interesting to me because it looks like you're sort of transition into that was based on spotting an inconsistency in judgments or in, in, in what the court was saying. My background is as a psychologist and I've sort of moved into law, but I'm extremely interested in this overlap between psychology and the law. And I guess this particular area that you're looking at is a subcategory of psychology and how it relates to the law. So I'm interested in how this whole whole discipline of of emotion and the law started off and has developed? So um, I would not call it a subcategory of of psychology. Sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think of it as uh, that elephant that everyone sees a little piece Mm -hmm. of. Um, And certainly if we're trying to think about um, law, law is basically, you know, a massive apparatus for understanding and channeling and controlling human behavior. And so there are a lot of questions there. One is, you know, how should we understand why people act the way they do and how and how they're likely to act, you know, and psychology obviously has a lot to say about that. But then there are sociological issues about how people act in groups and about how norms of emotion form. And uh, there are, you know, as I mentioned, neuroscientific issues about you know what role what role the brain plays in that and there and there are philosophical issues um that you really can't do without about like 
what law is supposed to do because we can't figure out whether people are acting the way they ought to be acting without having that discussion about how they ought to be acting. So is that because a lot of behaviour, um, even though it's not couched in terms of emotion, a lot of behaviour is actually, um, you know, there's sort of automatic emotional processes at, at play here, which um, we then rationalise afterwards. And are you sort of thinking that um, in all areas of the law, there is some sort of emotional component to the proceedings or to the behaviour of perpetrators or uh, what happens in the courtroom, for example? Is that... Right. No, those are all great questions. Um, Probably too many all at once, but... I um, Part of what we're seeing here is that there is no one definition of emotion, um, right? We can't say this is what emotion is. Um, and it's... In some ways, I don't think it's that important to have a fixed definition, which is good because we can't. Um, but what I try to get at is that law has an idea about emotion. And law's idea about emotion is that emotion is the enemy of reason. <laughs> yes. That, that we should keep emotion out because um, logic and reason are not emotional. And because law has that idea about emotion, law makes lots of decisions, first of all, based on, on that. You know, uh, for example, um, in thinking about what kind of evidence, what kinds of evidence might come mm. in at a trial, um, like photos of a crime scene or victim impact statements, sure. which is something I write about a lot. The um, court will say things like, well, that's that's prejudicial. Why is it prejudicial? Because it's emotional. And that'll be the end of the story. It's as if by saying emotional, they've explained it to you. Yes. Um, but, you know, the, that really isn't very helpful because some emotions um, can be helpful in making decisions. And as a psychologist, I'm, I know you know, I'm sure you know that uh, people can't make good decisions without emotions. Emotions can lead them astray, but, you know, we're... It, we, we can't go through the world like uh, Mr. Spock, which I assume is an American reference to Star Wars, but yes. maybe we'll okay, carry over here as well. I'm so sorry. Yes, Star Trek, <laughs> yes. Um, quite a lot of decisions are emotional ones, aren't they? But we try to sort of pretend that they aren't and, and we try to sort of say that they are based on rational processes, but they are emotional decisions. But how, how does this tie in with you know the stoicist view of sort of not being guided by our emotions you seem to be saying that, you know, unlike what is traditionally happening in the court, we should bring these emotional concepts into the courtroom as well? No, no, I'm you not don't... saying that we should bring them in. Um, I'm saying that they're already there. They're already there. Um, that they're, they're already there and that ignored. what the law does is that it ignores them and pretends mm. they're not there. And I can give you, I'll give you uh, an example yeah. of what I'm talking about. Uh, so... Um, Whenever somebody is tried for a, you know, for a, a mm. most like, let's say for a terrible crime, like a murder, um, the jury or the judge, you know, wh whoever is watching the trial, the media, mm -hmm. the public, the judge, the sentencer, um, pretty much will always ask whether that person is remorseful. And mm. then they will try yes. to evaluate whether the person is remorseful or not. And they have all kinds of ways of doing this, um, maybe by their words, maybe by their facial expression, mm. by their body language. Um, and then they will allow that remorse to play a role, and sometimes a major role, in sentence. 
and in the United States where unfortunately we have capital punishment and juries decide capital punishment sentences in, in the United States. Um, we have empirical evidence that whether the jury thinks the defendant looks remorseful, and I'm, I do mean looks, they, ha they generally don't have any testimony from him, they're just looking at his face, uh, is one of the three top reasons why, uh, why they will sentence him to death, and sometimes the main reason. Mm. So, and nobody instructs them on this, nobody sends them into the courtroom and tells them to do this. They're just absolutely sure that remorse should matter and that they are capable of evaluating it. So what happens, this is, the the emotion is already there and mm. what's the effect of pretending that it's not? We don't bring any of our social science knowledge or psychological knowledge to bear to tell them, mm, actually you can't tell whether someone's remorseful just by looking at their face. We yeah. don't instruct them. We don't bring in expert witnesses mm. to help them understand. We just ignore it, but it doesn't go away. Instead, they send people um, to their deaths based on erroneous psychological knowledge. So it depends how good you are pretending to be remorseful no. in some cases. No, no, that's not that was that's not no. what I'm, where I was no. going with that at all. Actually, um, it's kind of interesting, but juries um, think they know when someone is remorseless looking, mm -hmm. and. You know, if you're just if if your lawyer told you just and I have a lots of cases in which this occurred that I that I've written about, if your lawyer says to you just go and try to look very um, mm. respectful and mm -hmm. emo and emotionless and just keep you know keep keep a straight face you know don't do anything unusual in the courtroom, um, but while you're sitting there, if you're the defendant this parade of terrible evidence is unfolding in front mm -hmm. of you, right? So the question is, how ought you to look when people are testifying about all these terrible things you've been accused of doing? Yes. And juries will look at the defendant and, and think he looks arrogant, he looks cold, he looks like he has no empathy, he looks remorseless. Um, but what's odd is that we don't really... There's not much evidence of what they think a remorseful person would look like. Because try to imagine, what if instead the defendant burst out crying? Mm. You think the jury would be persuaded by that? Or would the jury think, well, he was really well coached? Uh, it's not so, so easy. So it's a lose-lose then? It's lose-lose. In some ways. It, 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 I, I'm not saying that they mm. ever... That, I mean, sometimes they might think someone is remorseful. Mm. But way less often than you might think. And, and there's no good... There's no good way to tell somebody, even if you wanted to mm. and thought it was a good idea to, um, how to look remorseful. Yeah, so so the jury's trying to sort of assess something that they're not really equipped to assess in Correct. the first place. Correct, exactly yes. right. Um, I mean, what do you think the current state of this area of research is in general, law and emotion, and where do you think it's headed? I mean, are there key yeah. areas you think oh, need further investigation? Yeah, well... Um, I think that um, until, I'm going to even say the 1990s, mm -hmm. it wasn't only, law was certainly one of the worst offenders um, in, not, in not wanting to think about emotion and continues to be, partly because law tends not to be very interdisciplinary and partly because, as I said earlier, there's this kind, it, 
the idea of emotion seems to yes. threaten everything that law thinks it is, right? But other fields, including psychology, mm-hmm. oddly enough, didn't study emotion either until mm-hmm. fairly recently because they thought of it as very ephemeral and fuzzy and fluffy and mm-hmm. not studyable. But we now know that it can be studied. There are lots oh, of yes. different kinds. Yes. kinds of ways that you can study emotion. And I think laws is finally coming into the fault. And so um, Professor Heather Conway is involved in, in something that I'm also involved in. We have a collaborative research network um, at the Law and Society Association where we have we have dozens and dozens of members. We, you know, we're generating um, edited volumes and other books. Um, Professor John Stenard also here on the faculty is involved in this as well. Um, so we have a we are building a real a real interdisciplinary and international effort um, to look at this, but it has to be interdisciplinary. At, you yes. know, as I was saying yes. earlier, because none nobody has every piece of this puzzle. So we so the the big mm-hmm. issue is to try to get people talking to one another. Yes, and and do you have ideas as to how this um, how emotions should be dealt with by judges, for example, or by lawyers? You know, do they need special? Um, coaching in this area to, to sort of perform their roles better? Well, I didn't really think? get back to your question about the Stoics mm. earlier, the and Stoics, I think I can tie yes. back to that. Yes, yes. So the issue is not really, um, it's not to ignore emotion, but mm-hmm. it's also not to simply acquiesce to emotion. Mm. I think one big issue is to become aware of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, I'm not an expert on the Stoics, but I, I think that mm-hmm. they might agree with me um, that... Uh, that it is possible to understand what you're feeling and then step back and decide whether what you're feeling is something that ought to be acted on. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing. Another thing for law is that we can create institutional Mm -hmm. um, structures that uh, encourage reflection, yes. encourage interchange. You know, the the, yes. the 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 solo judge is a problem. You know, because mm. no one individual is very good at correcting her own misapprehensions. But there, you know, there are ways to get information to judges, mm-hmm. um, amicus briefs, expert witnesses, appeals mm-hmm. courts. Yes. Sometimes judges sit with other judges, mm-hmm. and if they're a diverse group, they can correct each other's. Um, partial perspectives. So these are the lines along which I think we should be thinking. But, you know, in answer to your question about what emotions should do, I think there's really two parts to that. One mm-hmm. is let's learn more about how emotions do work and what effects mm-hmm. they have. And then we also need to have this legal discussion. What are we trying to accomplish here? And, and you know, how can we reform the law yeah. to better accomplish that? Uh, yeah, I and mean, I had thought of a, a few areas where there seems to be a a sort of emotional aspect to what's going on in court, even though it's not called that. So, for example, lie detection tests are essentially tests of an emotional reaction. You know, it's a physiological response. And some of the more recent tests that have been developed there are using um, electrical activity of the brain as a method of lie detection, which is something you can't fake. So um, although it's not called sort of emotion in the courtroom it's clearly the case that using those techniques are essentially measuring or trying to measure emotional uh, responsivity and you know are those appropriate methods to use as you know as evidence for example or is that well um, you know the, the, this is a, a long um long-standing 
sort of quest, yes. you know, to find that that thing that will tell us whether whether mm. um, whether we're telling the truth or not. Mm. And in a way, this gets into the discussions. This, what, the, what I'll be talking about in my public lecture tomorrow, mm-hmm. for example, that many times um, this doesn't really break down into truth versus lie. You may have a lot of people with different perspectives. I mean, occasionally mm-hmm. it is like, you know, yes. were Did you, you there? Did yeah. you shoot that gun or mm-hmm. did somebody else do it? But yeah. but so many legal questions are not like that. No. Um, and and what I would argue is that the kind of credibility that we have to dis- that we have to judge every day in a courtroom is very much about um, what the judge or the jury or the trier effect expect that a plausible fill-in-the-blank would feel, a plausible rape victim, a plausible um, victim of police violence. How would that person act? And so it's really a two-way process. The judge comes to the table with certain emotional scripts Mm -hmm. that he or she expects, and then the um, person being evaluated, the witness or the defendant, let's say, um, comes to the table uh, with his or her own emotional script, yes. and it's really a match they, or mismatch how they interact. issue. Yes, and it may be that nobody is lying. It's mm. just that you know it, it's really more of an interactive communication issue, and sometimes a miscommunication, perhaps. Mm, very, yes. very much so. Um, yeah, I mean, this there's so many questions here. I mean, I have some other things I'd like to ask you about very briefly, if that's okay. Of course. Um, the um, I mean, are, are there empirical studies of what's going on in terms of law and emotion, or what's going on in the courtroom, or with suspects? Are there any? Is there any empirical work in that area? Any yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of empirical yeah. work going mm-hmm. on right now. For example, um, there's a, a scholar at. Arizona State, um, who runs a lab, um, and she and I have co-authored, and actually sh- I'm working with her on a grant right now that the National mm-hmm. Science Foundation is uh, is partially funding, we other funding as well, um, looking at something I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. which is what we, you could call emotional evidence. Yes. Um, and so gruesome photos, autopsy photos mm-hmm. or crime scene photos. So, for example... Um, do those uh, advance the cause of justice mm-hmm. or, or do they cloud mm-hmm. the search for justice? And the empirical issue, she's looking, well, she's looking at several empirical issues. One of them is that most studies of emotion tend to be one person in a room. Yes. Like in in the in the U.S., we say you know the sophomores that are doing this for beer money. Yes. Um, but emotion doesn't work that way, and certainly not in a courtroom, and certainly not in a jury. It's collaborative. So one of the big issues, one of the great things that she's looking mm. at that needs to be looked at more is mm-hmm. how people evaluate credibility and other things, and how their emotions affect their evaluations mm. in a group setting. Right. So it's because so you're it's looking to at one another, yeah. and you're mm-hmm. deciding who else, not only whether to trust a witness, but mm. which jurors. Are, you're going to trust and how you feel about the judge, you know, all of this courtroom is, I don't know if you mm-hmm. can call it like a wet environment. I, I don't, uh, you know, but it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's a naturalistic environment. Naturalist. You're trying to recreate yep. the courtroom as opposed to, as you say, having a subject in a room on their own exactly. looking at pictures. Exactly. Yeah. So that's um, one big thing. Yeah. But so the other thing is, well, how do you say, let's say a color photo of a body, mm. is that, is that, um, better evidence than a black and white photo or not. On mm. the one hand, people actually are in color. So mm. you could say that a color photo 
is a more realistic mm, depiction yes. of a person. So does that make it um, better evidence? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we also know that it that that a color photo makes people angrier than a black and white photo. Mm. So what do you do about that? Does that does that say that it's bad because it evokes anger? So one of the so here's one of the things mm. that she's found is that that anger that people feel in looking at the at you know certain um, gruesome photos um, interferes with their decision making in a very specific way that that we think we can say is a bad way because it's not just that it makes them want to punish the mm. defendant and help the victim. It also makes them close their minds to evidence that's not consistent with that anger. So when they start hearing anything mitigating or good about the defendant, they shut it out. They yeah. do a biased search for evidence. So we can we can say, I think, that we know that the jury's job is to keep an open mind to all the evidence mm -hmm. and that, that the anger in that situation doesn't seem like a very good idea because it could, it's interfering with their ability to do that. So so that's where the Stoics come in again because you want to recognize the emotions that are at play but you don't want to be ruled by them. So it's a bit of a tightrope, isn't it, really? You want to recognize the role of emotion in the law but you also want to recognize that sometimes that could interfere with the due process. You want to recognize the emotion and then you need to have a discussion about whether it's leading you in a good direction or yes. not. I mean, sometimes the emotion might lead you in a good direction. Yes. It might be a moral emotion. I, now, I will say I personally am opposed to the death penalty, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't condone it in any situation. Yes. But let's say that someone were not opposed to the death okay. penalty. Mm -hmm. The death penalty asks the jury to make a moral decision about whether something is heinous and cruel. It's actually asking for a moral emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. So yes. to the extent that you buy into that, you might say you can not only become aware of that emotion, but you can actually allow that emotion to, to play influence. a role in your decision making. Yes. Whereas an emotion that makes it impossible for you to hear all the evidence is not useful. It seems no. not, exactly. It seems yeah. counterproductive. Um, I, I mean, every every time you're sort of talking about this, it, I think of other things I want to ask you about. I don't want to sort of overburden you, but I'm I'm interested no, I'm in having a wonderful time. Please, I, I'm interested in this idea of. Um, you know, selecting a jury, for example, is big business in the United States, isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, the, there are firms employed who do this. Mm -hmm. Presumably emotion plays quite a role there in terms of how they do that and why they reject people from juries. And, you know, is that a force for good or bad, do you think, in, in the system? Definitely. Definitely for bad? A source for good and bad. For good and bad. Okay. <laughs> so it can well, work no, either I'm, way. I'm, I'm yeah. a little big teasing you. Yeah. No, that's okay. Um, that's okay. So is it a source for good or bad that jury consultants take emotion, the possible emotions of the jurors into account? Is that is that what, you, what Perhaps, you're asking yes. me? Perhaps, yes. Yeah, you know, they sort of how, how they profile them and, you know, what they think they might be sympathetic to and what they might not be sympathetic to because that's obviously about the emotions of the jurors isn't it and how they match up with yeah, the I the perpetrator for example you know would they be sympathetic to that perpetrator uh, sorry suspect or not you know and obviously each side yeah. is going to differ on what sort of people they want on the jury aren't they yeah no so it's, that's, it's a it's a very mm. a very multi-layered hard mm. question i think that my answer to it might actually be i i think what what it 
point to is a deeper problem with the way we're doing juries in the U.S., not even so much the issue of consultants, although that's obviously troubling on a lot of levels, mm-hmm. not yes. just, you know, one of which is that a lot of people can't afford a jury yes. consultant. But um, the issue of peremptory challenges, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the question of whether you should be able to kick people off mm-hmm. without having a really good reason, um, yes. without a challenge for cause. A challenge for cause would be like, um, you know, that was my, that's my dad you're accusing or, yes. you know, something like that. Yes, um, but peremptory challenges really are based on instinct. Yes. And so I actually might answer your question in a way that isn't that helpful, you know, nope. to our discussion about emotion in a way I might say, I really don't think peremptory challenges belong at all. I, 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 I believe mm. that, um, they that they don't play a role anymore in Great Britain, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. I don't think they do. Yeah, I think that you've you, mm-hmm. that Brit- Britain no longer uses them because, in a way, that's the root of the problem. Once yes. you say go with your instincts, that's all that's about emotion. We, then, if yeah. it's instinct, it is emotion, isn't it? It's it's in, yeah. it's it's instinct, and it's and a lot of it is also prejudices. Yes, and that's exactly. that's a huge problem. Yes, because of course, part of what happens is that these consultants or these or these trial lawyers say, well, that kind of person mm. will tend to feel that way towards yes the suspect yes um you've talked a lot about well you've talked a little bit about some different emotions like remorse and anger you mentioned as Mm -hmm. well and empathy i think Mm -hmm. you mentioned Mm -hmm. um as a psychologist i'm 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 aware of some of the research that indicates that a lot of the basic emotions are negative emotions like anger disgust fear surprise you know those sorts of things sadness for example um and I also am aware that people have a stronger memory for negative emotions than for positive ones. You know, for the salience of, of them, it is stronger if it's if it's negative emotions. People tend to remember them more from their own own lives. Um, so in an area like, I don't know, eyewitness testimony, um, do you think that's an area which involves emotion in terms of the sorts of things that people might remember are they more likely to remember the bad things rather than the neutral things, for example? Well, I'll, I'll say more generally that I think, you know, memory is no question a huge issue here. And it actually mm. raises, I, I said um, a, a little bit earlier that the term emotion, you know, as a category, it doesn't really mm-hmm. describe a thing in the world. It's a kind of a contested yes. question of what mm-hmm. it is. And I, I, I think, um, from what I know, and here as a psychologist, you know, you, you know, you likely know more than I do about this, that there are some ways where emotion really isn't a useful category. That I think a lot of um, people that study decision making now mm-hmm. would say that there are various aspects of cognition that come into play. Yes. Memory, mm-hmm. of course, being one of them, mm-hmm. and the question of which memory, how our memories form, which ones stay in our minds, you know, what makes some things more um, salient or sticky than others is obviously a big part of that. Yes. Uh, whether emotion is a helpful term in explaining that or not, I don't know. It might be, but what wouldn't be helpful is what the legal system tends to do, mm. which would then be to say, but it, to the extent that it's emotional, 
we don't want any of part of it, right? I understand. Because I yeah. know you do, because as you're, yeah. you know, as you're describing, this is all part of how decision-making works. So my yeah. goal really is to get law to see that. You know, this is yeah. all part of how decision-making works. It's not really helpful to put it in two baskets, you know, the good basket of reason and the bad basket oh, no, of emotion. Oh, no, because they're, uh, they're interlinked. I mean, decisions are, yeah. are informed by emotions. So, for example, if you look at work on risk assessment, for example, after there's an earthquake, um, there's a research showing that after there's an earthquake in the United States, people go out and buy insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Whenever that, there's actually a, a, a less likelihood of, of an earthquake soon after that because they've just had one. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, decisions are based on, on emotional reactions and a lot of um, uh, memory is for the bad things that have happened to you. You know, and uh, rather than necessarily the positive things that have mm-hmm. happened, so there's a skewing of memory in terms mm-hmm. of tending to remember negative things. Mm-hmm. And so I was just interested in whether, not as a separate category, but whether decision making, um, you know, could be influenced by past negative experiences more than say by past positive experiences. But I guess yeah, that's I a whole think other. I have an easy. That's. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I, I don't know if there's one simple answer to no. that. I would I don't tend think to there's think a simple not. answer. I think we're just Yeah. It's just something uh, that occurred to me. And yet. as you say, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of really interesting work on on eyewitness and that's an area, you know, that where people have come up with some real um, concrete solutions, you know, to to sort of respond to some of those those memory issues mm-hmm. that you talk about. Um but I did want to say too that um yeah. I don't really like the notion of positive and negative emotions okay. as notions. Um, I well for law because law is what I care about. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if if you were a psychotherapist, you you know, then you might mm-hmm. have one particular set of feelings about how to make somebody healthier. Um, mm-hmm. But in law, um, I I object to the. I, I think we have to be careful with the idea that emotions are positive or negative because, you know, for example, although I've said some things about anger that mm-hmm. indicate that it's bad for a lot of kinds of decision-making, it's also really important. Like, yes. for example, right now in the United States, um, you know, we've had we've ha- had this sort of growing awareness of police shootings of unarmed yes. black men mm-hmm. um, and, you know, very interesting aspect of that yes. actually has been video and yes. the notion of people getting really viscerally confronted with things that they maybe didn't un- fully understand before and it's made people very angry you might even say it's made them morally outraged and it's led to organizing and, and it's helped lead to changes in the law so i say that only to make the point that i, I would the, I, I it would be hard for me to imagine any emotion that was necessarily negative across the board? No, I, I, I guess it's a sort of, it's not the best label to use. Um, it's more to do with this idea that um, something like, say, a flight or fight response, you know, if you run away from something that is dangerous, that might have been categorized as, as a negative emotion simply because it's about withdrawal rather than approach. Sure. But it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean it's it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because it's about survival. Yes, very yeah. true. So... Uh, negative, positive, maybe not the best label, but something's, some emotions are more about approaching things and some are about withdrawing from sure. them for safety reasons. Yeah. Sure. So the anger one that you mentioned there, 
that causing of outrage can then produce positive change, right. hopefully. Right. And that's yeah. really the point. It's yeah. like, it's like um, you know, for your questions about mm-hmm. eyewitness testimony and memory, um, you, you might be pinpointing something about certain types of emotions that's really important to recognize. Yes. Um, and, and then perhaps act on, perhaps then decide that law needs to be changed to account for it. But it's all contextual. You know, yes. I mean, yes. whether an emotion is advancing the causes of justice in any instance is going to depend on how that emotion plays out in that instance yes. and in what legal goals we want to try to achieve. So I, I tend to hesitate to make any kinds of sure. broad statements. Mm-hmm. Sure. Understand. Um, so, f- finally, I mean, sort of, I've got a, just one question I want to ask you, which is, mm-hmm. if I was a sort of, if I was a novice researcher, trying to straddle these two disciplines of law and emotion, mm. um, and I hadn't done any research in that area before, are there one or two areas, specific areas, that you would say to me, these are really worth looking at? In law and emotion? Yeah, if, well, if, I could, if I wanted to do that. I mean, I, I, you know, there are some, there are a few sort of major articles that um, pull together a lot mm-hmm. of the research that's out there. Yeah. And then um, there's my book, The Passions mm-hmm. of Law, which was published by mm-hmm. NYU Press. Um, but I, you know, I, I could, I would be happy to... I don't know if this is the forum to sure. do it in. Uh, I mean, I can't, you know, the citations, but... Um, well, no, no. Uh, um, I think I'm just looking for, you know, wh- where you see the sort of important areas to look at, you know, what do you think the future is in terms of... Oh, where the, what, what we should be looking at in the future yes. in terms yes. of, the fu- of the direction yeah. that law and emotion should take. I see, yes. what, you're, I see what you're asking yeah. me. Yeah. Um, well, one thing is... Um, I think that a lot of the work ends up, or a lot of the attention gets paid to criminal law mm-hmm. because it's just very natural for us to assume that that's where emotion is. Yes. And in a way, that's exactly the point I'm arguing against, even though I do work about, yes. uh, do a lot of work with criminal law. Um, Professor Conway here talks about, for example, emotion and property law. Yes. And, you know, emotion is everywhere in law. It is. And so mm-hmm. I think one thing to do is is to make sure that we've expanded and we're we are working we as a group of scholars are working yes. on bankruptcy and property and um, wills and trusts and negotiation and all sorts of areas and I think the other thing is uh, we, we've spent a lot of time of necessity kind of you know trying to explain that emotion is in law and isn't going away. But I think what needs to happen next is that we need to have much more specific discussions about how to fix the law, mm. you know, how, how to use what we've learned and, and change institutions where they need changing. And they may um, not always need changing. And that's a, that's a big enterprise if, as you say, this permeates all areas of law. Yes. Uh, uh, potentially. Yeah. It's it's a huge enterprise, yeah. but but you know, um, I guess I would just leave with the thought that th- there's n- really no other option because you know, as my remorse example, I hope, you know, was one illustration yes. of if we ignore it, it, it isn't simply going to go away. We'll just continue to make decisions without the information we need about how emotions actually work. So your take home message is we need to fix the law. No, my no. take home message is we need to get the information 
figure out what the law is trying to achieve and then decide whether mm-hmm. and, and when to fix the law and then, if so, okay. how. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. You have been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle, and LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at QUB LawPod. You can also visit our website, www.lawpod.org, and you can look in our show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and this was LawPod.